Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's Sermon Podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today as we continue to learn from God's Word in the first epistle of Paul to the church in Corinth. We pray that God's Word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. I wanted to apologize to you guys that are listening to this. We had some issues with our podcast today, so this is me preaching a third time, since the first two services weren't recorded, to an empty room. Again, it's the con- I wanted to make sure that the content was out there for you guys and the text was covered. Even though it's to an empty room, I'm not 100% sure it's going to sound exactly like it was for the first two services, but trusting that the Lord will use this in your lives either way pray that you guys would be encouraged by this and challenged by this and that you continue to press into knowing Jesus Christ more and more every single day of your life. Thanks. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians? We will predominantly teach through a book in the Bible. That's what we're going to normally do. We did pause for a few weeks so that we could discuss and share a little bit of what we believe God commanded us for our vision as a church, especially now that we're in a new facility. And so if you missed that, I would encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. I get the opportunity to do a lot of weddings in my position. And as I, as I walk with these couples, I'm always reminded of just how much preparation it takes in getting ready to be married. You get prepared for the flowers and all the different things that happen on the wedding day. And then couples spend time thinking about what, what marriage will look like, where they're going to live and how they're going to act and operate as a couple and what they're, how many kids they want to have. And, and so much time is spent planning and prepping for this one day that it, it's, it's incredible. But you know what the healthiest marriages I see and experience and go for are the people that don't just spend the time and energy looking at what the wedding day will be looking like. There are people that spend the time to study and understand and to pursue their spouse for the rest of their lives. It would be silly for me, who's married to Jen and have been married for almost 14 years now, to just tell her one day, you know what, I just decided I don't want to be married today. And so today I'm just not married. And live my life, act that day, specifically as if I'm not married. Now, I don't want to make light to the fact that people do this. But what I'm saying is, is that even if I chose that day to say, I don't want to act married. I want to today, I want to just act like a not a married person. I'm still married. My covenant is with God. My covenant is to him and him first and to my wife as well. And so no matter what I think or don't think or want to be or don't want to be, I'm married. But see, as silly as it would be for Jen and I, for me to pretend that I wasn't married to Jen, so many of us do that with Christ. We say we accept Christ and then live our lives as though we can live however we want. We succumb to this sort of Christianity that is more for us to follow when it's convenient or when it doesn't force us to live counter to cultural or to be in a position that when we we listen to the commands of God that we stand in actual opposition to the world we live in. See, we try to fit God into our kingdom instead of living true to his kingdom. Scripture treats that when we are in Christ, we are a new creation and that the old has passed away. It's not something to be grabbed. It's, it's dead. It's gone. We are a new creation in Christ. In Christ, you've been d- adopted into a new kingdom. See, we are not of this world. We are not worldly. We are citizens of, a gr- of another group altogether. Philippians 3.20 talks about this. It says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we will wait a savior, the, G, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, 
We aren't of this world. When we surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, we gave ourselves to a citizenship that has nothing to do with this world and has everything to do with his kingdom and his purposes and what he's commanding of us. So for us to live our lives as if we aren't following Christ doesn't make sense because you don't even live in this world anymore. You are not of this world. You may walk and breathe and have to pay taxes and do everything else that's required to operate in this world, but you are of an entirely different world. You are of his kingdom. And the standard for our citizenship in his kingdom is holiness. God is immensely holy. In fact, he expects us, his children, to be holy. The word holy appears over 500 times in the scriptures. It's the only time that God is ever defined by three in a row. That's how important it is. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He is holy. And our holiness is the appropriate response to God's holiness. And yet it is, the only, it is only made possible by the gift and the grace of God. Holiness in the church comes through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And because we aren't of this world, we need to recognize that we aren't to look like this world. See, the, the teaching here from Corinthians was an incredibly radical teaching that we're in today, especially in the time in Corinth. If you remember, in, in Corinth, it was a port city. This place was a, just a hot mess altogether. There was sexual immorality everywhere. It was common for every man to just go to the temple and, and sleep with the temple prostitutes. It was normal for things to be defrauded and people to be, be stealing. And it was just a, a horrible place. It made Vegas today look silly and, and calm and easy to live in. Corinth was a mess. Culture was, was just, a, just a terrible place. In fact, it was, it was so bad that they literally had a word called to Corinthianize which is like an obscene living. They would use that, like you're going to Corinthianize this. That was a, a, a word that was used. Women of Corinth weren't, wasn't a good thing to be said. It was a very, very dangerous and difficult and hard spot. And yet, as radical as the teaching that comes from our scriptures out of Corinthian here today would have been at that time because it was stood in such opposition to the culture to live a life where you were willing to be wronged like we just talked about a month ago before this in 1 Corinthians 6. Instead of going to the court systems like they were. But see, the problem with the church in Corinth is that day, they were looking so much like culture, you couldn't tell who was church and who wasn't. Who was a part of the following of God and who wasn't. And this is a big problem. As radical as it was then, my, my fear is, is in the church in America, this is becoming more and more of a radical text for us. We're all of a sudden now we assume and are okay with or recognize the fact that, that what the Bible is commanding to us is actually going to be elect few that will really submit themselves to it. It's going to be considered radical to really truly align ourselves to Scripture. This is not a text that should be taken lightly, but is one that has been heinously abused in both over-application and lack of application. So let's, let's read it. Would you read with me out of 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9? Before I go to nine, sorry, real quickly, this is coming off of where we were in lawsuits against believers. Right in verse eight, it says, but you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. So he's coming off the fact that the church, remember in this section, they were going to the court systems to settle the silliest of things. And the, and the, and the apostle Paul, inspired by God, is saying, no, you should be going to the church for this. The church is capable to do this. The church, the church should be the ones that's settling these wrongs. Don't, don't look like the rest of the world. And so he's coming right out of that. And he says, Or do you not know 
that the unrighteous, or wrongdoers is another way that can be translated, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This whole section begins with this idea of, of do not be deceived. In other words, someone was trying to deceive them into thinking that there is no judgment coming on these impenitent behaviors. It's not an accident that this first, the first four chapters are about divisiveness. And then we roll right into this, which says, don't be deceived. We think we are being enlightened beyond what God has already shown us in his word. And instead of submitting to it, we are being deceived, trying to scrutinize each word to put any shred of doubt so that we can redefine God's word to justify our deception and divide the church. Look, this has been the script of Satan since the very beginning. In the garden, he looks at Eve. Did God really say, if there could be just a shred of doubt given, all of a sudden then the enemy can start working in our hearts and pull us further and further and further away from truth. And pretty soon we've fully become deceived. He begins as saying that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And this is important for us to understand. Most of us think of the kingdom of God as some distant heaven, some, something that's way up there. But, but it's better perceived here to mean the world remade by God. A remade world where we are in perfect union with everything, no unhappiness, sickness, or disease. Our bodies don't fall apart. And the Bible teaches that his kingdom is here now. It came through Jesus Christ's first coming. It's not completed yet, but it's, it's here now for us to happen. Uh, one scholar said it this way, the kingdom of God is God's divine kingly reign as proclaimed and inaugurated by Jesus' life, ministry, death, and resurrection and the subsequent outpouring of the Spirit into the world. In this sense, Christ is reigning now and the kingdom of God has arrived. At the same time, the church awaits the future consummation of the divine reign. This already and not yet dimension of the kingdom of God implies that it is both a given reality or the divine power at work in the present and a process that is moving toward its future fulfillment or completion. See, we inherit this kingdom. It's given to us by God. This is not something we earn. And it's super important for us to understand that this is what he's talking about. Because when we come to this vice list that we read here, and when we look at the things that he's discussing here, it's not that this vice list is a list of things that if you do this once, you're out. What he's trying to establish, what he's showing us, what God is showing us through his word here, is that, is that the kingdom of God will carry about it specific ways to operate. The kingdom of God will keep us together and we will show ourselves on how we are to love the Lord and to love each other. The kingdom of God is something that we can operate in today. What he's saying here is that there is a, there's a way in which people will operate that has no place, no business to be in the kingdom of God. These aren't things that we would even experience when it's all perfected. So why not start living them now as we sing by the Spirit's strength? This is what the kingdom of God is. He's saying, look, you want to inherit the kingdom of God, then these things, this, this list of things, plus many, many other things that the scriptures talk about, aren't what happens in the kingdom of God. Before we go forward, I want to make sure I'm a little clear about this text. The unrighteous is talking about those that habitually sin. 
It's talking about a, a behavior, not inclinations or orientations or, or natures or struggles. And when I use the word struggle, what I mean is not a struggle as in I'm going to justify, oh, I struggle with that and that's okay. It's a struggle in that I'm at war with this. I don't want to do these things. Like the Apostle Paul says, why do I do the things that I don't, don't want to do? Right? It's a, it's a war. It's a battle for us. It's what we're doing. This scripture is not talking about someone that has made a mistake or even sinned in the same area a few times. This scripture is talking about someone that habitually goes to this thing and does not care what God's word says, does not care what it means, does not care what that shows about themselves. They are completely content and okay and happy with doing the very things that they're doing. That's what the section's talking about. This list isn't a list of sins that if you do them, you will not inherit the kingdom. Again, this is so important for us to know and understand. The kingdom of God won't be ripped from your hand when you mess up and repent. The kingdom of God is not yours if you mess up and don't care. The kingdom of God is when you say, I don't care what scripture says, I'm going to live for myself. That means that the Lord is not saved. He's not reigning in your life. He's not your Lord. Preston Sprinkle, when preaching about this section, said it really, really well. He said, forgiven sinners on an imperfect journey toward the perfect Savior are precisely the people who will inherit the kingdom of God. See, we should think, we should think about it this way. A Christian who has committed an act of fornication or any other thing listed on this list of sins isn't automatically excluded from the kingdom of God. Instead, this is talking about people whose lives are dominated and characterized by these sins. So is an occasional act of sin no big deal to God? Of course not. It's a significant matter. Remember, the standard of the kingdom of God is holiness. Sin goes against everything that we have been given in Jesus. Because a lifestyle of sin begins with a single act of sin, we should be very cautious in our lives. But it's not talking about the people that are wrestling and repentant. The people that, that have no desire to do these things but are really trying to find strength. Or the people that, that maybe haven't used all the tools that God has given them to be free from it at a moment. It's not talking about those individuals. So with that, let's, let's go through this list. First one he talks about is sexually immoral. Sexually immoral people are, is, is basically defined as sexual behavior outside of marriage. That means premarital sex is a sin. That means that, that this is a sin that is a characterization that is not present in the kingdom of God. So why would we live in it today as we're moving towards the full fruition of his kingdom? Sexual immorality is, is a generalized term. It's any sexual act with someone outside of marriage. It's not something to just trifle with or try or because you love each other. It's disobedient to give yourself to that. Sexual immorality is a big deal. This talks about thieves in this section. And thieves, when I was, when I was seven or eight years old, I, I forgot to ask my parents about this because I can't remember exactly. But I remember I, I stole some sixlets. If you remember what the sixlets were, they were this, like those chocolate candies, you could put them in your mouth and just kind of pull it out and have this, the plastic afterwards. I, I stole some of those from, from Hollywood Market. And I remember coming home and I remember, I don't know how my parents found out. I never actually figured that out. I should ask them how they did that. But, but I remember them taking me down to Hollywood Market and making me pay with the money I had for those sixlets. I think it was like 10 cents or whatever. And then, and then making me tell him I'm sorry that I did this. So that would mean that I, as a thief, I'm on this list. As, as cute and as innocent as that eight-year-old story or seven-year-old story is, that characterization will not inherit the kingdom of God. And many of you are like, oh, that's, that's not, I don't really steal anything. Yeah, but what about your taxes? If you mislead or 
cheat or change the information or embellish it all in your taxes, you are stealing. What about in your employment? Are you just taking things from work because they got plenty of it here and they won't ever notice and it's not going to hurt them at all? That's being a thief. Maybe some of you, it's not stealing things from work, but you're actually not doing the job that you're hired to do. You're not working the job that you're hired to do, so you're actually stealing, with them, stealing from them in that way because you're lazy. That's a characterization that's not a part of the kingdom of God. Next word is reviler. And reviler is, is better understand gossip or slander. And this is, hear this now, this is important. We've got sexual immorality, which many of us would get really upset about. And now we have gossip, which many of us, if we even take part in social media, probably experience it on a regular basis. Gossip or slanderers will not take part in the kingdom of God. If you leave here today and start talking poorly about me, you're slandering me. If you even give an ear to gossip or slander, you are taking part in this. A reviler has no place in the kingdom of God. It's not a characterization that would be true of anyone in the kingdom of God. The next one is greedy, and he says, greedy is, is that it's never, you never have enough. It means materialistic. Have you been deceived in this? Have you given yourself to greed? Let me, let me say it this way. Look, the church as a whole, ministries as a whole, missionaries as a whole, would be so much more well-funded if there was less greed in the American church. So much of us wanting the next thing, it has to be the bigger house, have to get the better car, have to get the better job, have to get this newest phone, the newest clothes. Everything is about what we want. It's all going to burn up, and we're looking to it for satisfaction that it can't sustain. It will never bring you the happiness or the joy that you assume anything will. It's all going to burn up. Our joy only comes from abiding in God and his commandments. That's where our joy is, to remain with God. We can't give ourselves to these greedy things. We can't be a greedy person. In fact, greedy people are not a part of God's kingdom. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Have you been deceived? Have you given to greed? Another one on the list is, is swindler. And really the best way to, to define this, although most of us, our minds when we think of swindling is like you're taking something or, or sneaking some kind of money out of someone and doing a bad deal. Swindling really is just kind of the best way to say it is, is ruthless business practices. So if you are in business to any degree, whether it's your own business or you're working for business and you are ruthless in the way you operate, that's what he's talking about here. He's saying those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Maybe it's just a, a Craigslist ad for you. If you're selling something on Craigslist and you were swindling someone, you knew that it was worth more than what they were selling it to them, but you didn't, selling it to you, but you didn't say anything. Or you tried to, to embellish what yours was worth. Or you didn't tell them about the things that were wrong with it. That's ruthless business practice. That's swindling. Swindling is not a characteristic of the kingdom of God. It's not a characteristic of the kingdom of God. Now, in, in all of these things, they fracture the community of God. The next one is, is adultery. And this is basically described, it describes all sexual intercourse involving a married person to someone other than their spouse. So it's, it's, not, it's not anything other than the fact that it's, it's any kind of sexual experience or any kind of sexual thing that happens from a married person to someone that's not their spouse. That's the difference between it and sexual immorality. But Jesus kind of ups the ante on this one because he says, if you look at a woman lustfully, you've already, create, you've already committed adultery within your heart. Adultery is not a characterization of the kingdom of God. Now, I've walked with many people in this church, even some that have had the hardship of adultery in their marriage. And that one act does not exclude these individuals from the kingdom of God. 
I've watched as they've been repentant and walked and rec- some have been reconciled, some are still in the process of reconciliation. This does not talk, it's not talking about those individuals. It's not talking about the person that committed adultery once. Although let me say, it is a, it is a gross perversion of a beautiful thing that God has given us. Adultery is very bad, it's sin. It's not like, oh, cool, I can still get the kingdom of God and do this because then I would say that you're habitually giving yourself to sin, which is not something true of a child of God. But even... The pain that's caused there, God can restore. His grace is so good. There is no limits to his grace. And so he can continue to restore and mark. And so adultery is not a part of a characterization for the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. The lust that is happening in your mind is happening in your heart. And Jesus says you have already committed adultery in your heart. Don't give yourselves to those things. It's not true of who we are in Christ. Now, the next one is, is homosexuality. And I, because of, of culture and where we are today, I feel like I have to spend a little bit more time talking about this one just because of, of where we are. This text, this one word, there's, there's about six places in Scripture, Genesis, Leviticus, 1 Timothy, Romans, and, and here in, in Corinthians, where homosexuality is talked about. But this verse is one of the most scrutinized ones out there. The translations, it, depending upon the translation of Bible you have, you're going to see sexual offender, sodomite, homosexuality. You're going to see men who sleep with men. You're going to see all kinds of different variances because essentially in this section, now I'm not going to be able to do this whole justice. There have been some brilliant people that have spent a lot of time really trying to understand the biblical value of what this means and how this is translated. And so this is, I'm just kind of pulling from, I'm gleaning from them, the people that have gone before me. And I'll share a resource at the end here. But in this section, there's, there are a number of scholars that have tried to kind of pigeonhole this text and define it because really it, it's the difficulty of the two words. There's, there's two words, but really three. There's, a, there's one Greek word, and then there's a compound Greek word, two words kind of mashed up together that come out, and this is where you get the variance in the translations. But in these translations, the best way to define them isn't the way that probably most of us understand it. First off, I don't even think homosexuality is a great way to translate this. But many people have tried to pigeonhole this text specifically to mean only certain types of same-sex sexual activity. So in, in the, the time of this book was written in Corinth, pederasty was super, super, super common. Pederasty is where an, an older man is, is having sexual relations with a younger boy, a teenage boy. This was super common in Corinth and around this time. In fact, 14 of the 15 Caesars have said to been, that they did this. Even Nero had a boy that he married when he was in there. So this is, this is common practice that's happening there. And many people have tried to say that this word, these words, this combination of Greek words means pederast here. I don't think that really makes sense. Other, other people have tried to say that this is actually talking about a gang rape situation, like what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah with the, with the angels and the people wanting to come and do it this way. That, so they're saying this is, only, this is only prohibiting that style. And they would say this isn't prohibiting a same-sex consensual relationship, monogamous relationship that is sexually active and can be married because the state allows it. That's, that's where they're, they're going to try and bring about that being okay. But in the scriptures... What we see in the scriptures is that God in Genesis and Jesus reaffirms it, defines marriage as one man and one female becoming one flesh. 
I think the best way that this is translated is actually to say it this way, that the active and passive partners in same-sex sexual relationships. So what this is talking about really is the best way to say it is men who have sex with men is probably the best translation for these words. So men who have sex with men, obviously if you look at Romans, it's talking about women with women too. So we see that that any kind of same-sex sexual relations is not a characterization of the kingdom of God. It's not something that's true to the kingdom of God. But what this is not talking about, please hear me on this, what this is not talking about, it's not talking about someone who is struggling with their sexual orientation. It's not even talking about people that, it, it, that, are, that would even say that, man, I, I know that I'm attracted to the same sex, but I'm not acting on it. What it's talking about is people engaging in ongoing unrepentant sin. The Bible always prohibits same-sex sexual relationships. No matter how much we try to scrutinize it, we can, we can try and say it's a cultural thing, but no matter what, the Bible still prohibits it. But please hear me on this. People have taken this one vice in this list and elevated it so much higher than anyone else's vice list. We always tend to demonize the sins that we don't have any problems with. The church has done so much damage in this subject alone. The church should be a place where anyone, no matter how many struggles, no matter what they wrestle with, can confess this to the church and the church can walk them through and disciple them through biblical understanding and healthy, healthy living of what's true to the kingdom of God because that's what community's for. Guys, I long to be a place where we can be a church that represents a place where we recognize that people are going to be coming in hurting and broken and we're not going to tell them to fix themselves and then come. We're going to say, come meet Jesus and watch what he does with you. We tend to look at this one area and say, these people, these people will not inherit the, the kingdom of God. And we elevate it just as high, we elevate it higher. Why, why there's greed and there's slander and there's all of these things, sexual immorality and adultery happening. We're willing to walk with people through that. How dare we? How dare we not be the church to people that struggle with same-sex orientation that are battling with this? People that want to understand how they can fit in with where their history and their story, what's, what's brought them to this spot. One of the biggest problems with this whole subject itself is that somehow identity's gotten wrapped into sexual orientation. And now people will, their identity's wrapped up in whether or not they are gay or not. And that is just hostile to God's word. God teaches that we are made in the image of him our identity isn't rooted in who we are or what we do. Our identity is rooted in that we are children of God. My identity is I am clothed in righteousness. I am a son of the most high king. That's what identity is. It's not some form of sexual orientation. That's just something I do. My identity is child of God. We don't have a ton of time to continue to go on with this, but Preston Sprinkle is one of the resources I would recommend. Just search his name. He's done a ton of work and research over the last six years on this very subject and he's, he's got a number of other people you can kind of, if you, if you search him out, you'll be able to get connected to a number of other people that are in this conversation. The next list is, is idolaters. And many of us will probably think, oh, I'm not, I, don't, I don't have any idolization problems. Idolatry is just man-made images or representations worshipped as deities. It's basically any natural or manufactured object that's worshipped. Anything receiving worship other than the one true God. Now, here's the thing. We idolize our kids. We put them on little thrones. We idolize them. 
You know, I know this is when, when someone says something maybe not positive or your kid's struggling with something, you seem crushed. The reason why you're crushed is because you've put your identity, you've idled, you've worshipped your kids not being that. We idolize our marriages. We idolize our jobs. Some of us even idolize our churches, our small C churches. Idolization, unfortunately, is everywhere. We are not meant to worship anything but God. In fact, the scriptures teach that we are to be a living sacrifice, and that is our spiritual form of worship, to live our life completely sacrificed for God's purpose, to give everything that we are to him. Idolatry is not a characterization of the kingdom of God. We cannot give ourselves to the kingdom of God as an idolater. We are only to worship God and God alone. When we worship other things, we show them as idols. Next on the list is drunkards. This is drinking out of control or used with one characterized by habitual drunkenness. Now, let me be clear on this. That means if you are addicted to alcohol and you are wrestling with it and you're trying to get free and you're working and letting the spirit continue to move, that's not what this is talking about. This is someone that says, I don't care what the scriptures say, I'm gonna get drunk. Listen, this is one of those acceptable Right? We, we accept this sin. Many, many Christians will just this, say this very, very kind of haphazardly. You know, yeah, I was a little too drunk that night, as if it's okay. Yet here he's saying drunkenness is not a characterization of the kingdom of God. So if you continue to get yourself drunk and you're not repentant about it, you see no remorse for it, you don't feel anything wrong with it, you're walking a very dangerous line. In all of these things, in all of these things, we should be seeing ourselves looking more and more and more like Jesus Christ as we go along in life with him in maturity. No matter how much we struggle with him, we should move further and further and further away from him. And here's, here's why I say that. He has this section which he says, such were some of you. Right after he comes out of this list of nine things here plus 10 if you count the defrauding your brothers just before in, in six. He says, such were some of you. You know what that means? That means at least a few things. First, that there are some that were this and no longer are. Hear me on that. That means that there were some men having sex with men that no longer were. There were some drunkards that no longer were. There were some revilers that no longer were. God's spirit informed them and and took their heart and led them right out of that sin and that no longer has any control over them. So it means that there is is some that were that, that no longer are. And this is the thing that I think Christians struggle with so much today is we believe the lie that whatever sin or struggle we have that isn't true to the character of God, that we're gonna carry it for the rest of our lives. But this scripture shows us that that's not the case. This shows us that no matter how hard or bleak it looks and no matter how crazy our circumstances may be, God's power is inside of us. The spirit that raised Christ from the dead is inside of us. So how dare we limit it and how dare we minimize what it can and can't do? He is, he is all-powerful spirit. We can't limit him. The power that Jesus gives us, it's, it's, it's capable of freeing us from anything. So maybe for some of us, when it comes to what these vice lists are, we need to actually believe and call upon the power of Jesus Christ to free us from it and believe that he has the ability to do so. But some were, but no longer are. That's the first thing that we see. The other thing that we can understand and know because this list is here is that some were this way and are still acting this way. Otherwise, it wouldn't be here. Why would he have a vice list to a church? He's writing to the Christians. We know this because at the end he says, you are washed, you are justified. So he's speaking to them. He's saying, look, this is what you were. And some of you are operating like you are that way now. And that's just not true to the kingdom of God. And it fractures the community that's supposed to be a bright spot for God. supposed to show immense 
beauty of what it means to know Jesus, and you're operating inside of your sin. This text shows us that some were these things, and some still are these things. They're still wrestling. And maybe it's just a wrestling, and that's what the plea is. That's what the warning is here. But there's a third group that this shows as well. The third group is that, that some were this way, but completely still are this way and never were truly washed. The, the scriptures tell us about this. Jesus literally tells us, he says, that many will come to me on the day of judgment and say, Lord, did we not do and fill it in? We went to church, we tied, we did all these things. But he will say, away from me, I never knew you. First John also tells us of the people that were leaving the church and they're saying, look, they were with us for many, many years, but they were never truly of us. So there is a way for us, unfortunately, to operate where we look the part, but we aren't really submitted to God. And that's what this third group of people is. They're people that are completely deceived. They believe that they can just live their life however they want, and there's no consequences for that. There's no expectations in God's word. And even when God's word tries to confront, they harden their hearts and they just ignore it. There's three groups here. And then right after he says, such were some of you, he goes, but it begins with, with three verbs, each introduced with a strong adversative, but, which gives additional force to the actual statement once you were. He says, but, we, we don't read it, it says, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified. We, it doesn't read well in the English that way, but it's a very strong statement saying, look, this is what you were, but you're not. You've been washed, you've been clean. He's pleading to the believers, he's pleading to the church of God saying, you are Given the, you've been given the inheritance of the kingdom of God, live today as a part of the kingdom of God and don't waste the time and the breath that you have. Washed is when people come to Christ, they are washed of the guilt of previous sins. We've been washed clean from sin by the mercy of God. We're washed by the work of Jesus on the cross and cross for us and by the word of God. Sanctified here isn't necessarily sanctification of something that happens where God is taking us on this continual process of looking more and more like Jesus and completing what he's already begun in us. This is sanctified, meaning we are set apart. We are not of this world. This is why it doesn't make sense for a follower of Jesus to give themselves to drunkenness or to give themselves to same-sex sexual relationships because what you're doing is you're operating of the world when you've been set apart for his kingdom. You're not of the world. You are of his kingdom. And it says justified. And this is just given that we were given a right standing with God, a new relationship with God. It entails no more condemnation for their past sins. We are not only declared not guilty, but we were declared just, just before him. We are justified by God's grace through the work of Jesus on the cross, by faith and not by our own deeds. Romans 3, 24 through 28. What's profound about each of these three words is that every single one of them is used in the past tense form. Every single one of them is used in the past tense form. Meaning he's saying, look, look you guys were washed. You have been sanctified. You have been justified. You've been, you've been deemed justified. You're, you're right standing with God. Why would you live as if it didn't matter? Why would you push yourself into the world when you are not of this world? Titus 3 3 through 7 says it this way. It says, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. We can put our own name in there. For Bren was once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slave to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But 
Do you see, this is the case. Every single one of us before Christ were foolish. We may have thought we were smart, but remember, our wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. We were foolish. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Father appeared, what a great statement. He saved us, not, not us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. Not because we stayed away from this vice list enough or we white-knuckled it and made it and we, we finally changed who we were. We finally stopped reviling and we finally stopped swindling. No, he saves us. Not by any righteous works, or any works that we've done, but according to his own mercy by the washing. See, there it is. He's washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, we inherit the kingdom of God. We are co-heirs with Christ because of his mercy and his grace that's been poured out on us that he saved us. Not done by our righteous works, but by what he's done. Not by, done by just avoiding enough unrighteousness, but submitting ourselves entirely, completely to him and saying, Lord, have your way with me. We are more than this world. Why would we live like we aren't saved when we have been bought with a price, which is what we're going to talk about more next week. We are to be ready to live for an eternity, a part of his kingdom, without the mess that we are still wrestling with, with this in-between time. Meaning, we are going to be living today like we're going to be living in the kingdom of God because we have the Spirit of God enabling us to do so today. We have been washed, sanctified, and justified. We are to live as that not as we once were. We are to live as we are in Christ. So many of us are exchanging a kingdom reality for a cheaper version of who God truly is. And in these actions, if we stop fighting them, we take the holiness of God and try to minimize it, which ends up making him smaller, which then causes us to doubt his character, which then makes his word less important to submit to. We then are taking his kingdom and making it like this broken world that we are already a part of. May it not be so, guys. Why would we try to bring God down to this world in this broken way and make him fit within our own system this way when he's promised us something so much greater than what we're in? We are not of this world. We are in opposition to this world. The Corinthians like us today need to stop seeing themselves as of the world and let themselves be transformed and renewed by the Spirit of God. The way that we know we are transformed by the Spirit is you won't habitually live like, the vice, like this vice list. It, it should really shake our confidence that we are an heir if we habitually sin without repentance. Guys, we can't continue to live life when Scripture tells us you are not to do these things. This is not what's true of the character of God. This is not the new self. And assume that if we keep living that way, that we are truly heirs of God. I don't know what it is for you. I want to encourage you guys ways. If you're, if you're here today and you're hearing this, you're saying, man, I, I know, I know who I am and I know what I've done and I know the sins that I continue to struggle with and, and, and the spirit of God, not me, is convicting you. Don't just sit on that. Confess that. Repent. Plead for God. Come around a community and say, help me. And yes, there will be fractures and pain that come from confessing those things, but there's so much smaller in comparison to the glory and the joy that come from being freed once and for all from this sin that God has already come and sent his, sent his son to die on the cross to free us from. Some of you, you hear this and you realize that you were, but you no longer are. Then you need to give glory to God. 
You need to give glory to God and thank him for freeing you from those things. Some of you need to seek forgiveness because you've, lo- you've used the freedom that God has given you to not experiencing some of these vices as a way to think of yourself as higher and then allowing yourself to condemn people that are struggling or wrestling in these vices. Because I want to be a church where broken, messed up people with just ugly sides to them can come and see what it means to live life as a community of God, bringing glory to him, surrendering our will for his will, surrendering our ways for his ways. People that come to the scriptures and when they see that their life isn't aligned to what God is commanding of them, they don't ignore it. They fall to their knees and plead for God to give them the strength by his spirit so that we can live according to his word and bring him glory with every breath of our lives. We can't keep going as if holiness isn't the standard as a part of his kingdom. We can't keep operating as if we aren't followers of Christ. We can't take days off. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you must take up your cross daily. That is die to yourself daily and follow me. That means that every single part of your flesh needs to die, needs to be crucified with Christ so that you can be resurrected with him. We can't partially die. We must fully die. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for the ability to love you and know you, God, for the individuals that are struggling to know who you are. God, would you show up? For the people that, were, that, were, that are realizing today that this was who they were, but they no longer are, God, would they just give you the glory and praise and never lose sight of how beautiful it is to be finally freed to just live for you? God, for the people in the room, that when they hear this list of vices, they realize that they have given themselves to him. God, would you wreak havoc with their hearts? Would you show them that there is no shortage of grace for even them? But would you show them that there is no kingdom for them if they won't repent and turn to you? God, we we want to be a people that love you. God, forgive us for the ways in which we have used this scripture as a battering ram to affect all kinds of people. Forgive uh, the church for the way that we have have truly isolated specific vices in, in this list. Forgive us for the ways that we've continued to move past or ignore other vices as if they aren't that big of a deal, God. Sin is sin and none of it belongs in the kingdom of God. So how dare we operate in your kingdom today as if it does belong. Father, we pray that we would be a people fully surrendered to your word no matter how much opposition we get from the world, no matter how much doubt the enemy tries to feed us, God, I pray that we would never be deceived. We would never be deceived into believing that we can live our lives the way we want to apart from you and still be with you. Forgive us for not recognizing just how set apart we are from this world, God. Help us to stay faithful to you by your spirit's strength, to love you and to know you and to be strengthened by you in every day. And God, we just plead, come today. Come back, bring your kingdom back, free us from this pain. And for the individuals that are here in this room that have been wrestling with specific vices here, maybe it's sexual immorality or or drunkenness or whatever it may be, God, would you, would you show them that your spirit has the ability to lead them through this? so that tomorrow they look a little bit more like Jesus and the next day and the next day and the next day, God. God, you are a God that does not break your promises and you, you said you, you promised that not only what you started in us, that you would complete. So God, come complete in us. Cut away whatever is not connected to you. Cut away whatever is, is holding us back. Rip it from our hands. If we are idolizing something, God, just destroy the altar that we idolize it on. God, we want to worship you with all of our hearts. We want to worship you with all of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. 
We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.